of news stories and, and something had come across my screen about a naked story, somebody being naked in public. And I just got to stop and I got to investigate that right there. <laughs> and then we just kind of talk about it because I think it's fascinating. And like last summer, I was on the radio and I saw this little thing come on and it said, um, nudist worldwide were worried about their declining numbers. <laughs> it got my attention because I've been doing a lot of work in that area, trying to get everybody to keep their clothes on. And so at first I thought, well, it's really paying off. You know, people are listening and, and they're keeping their clothes on. And, and the breezy bunch is, you know, getting a little educated right there. So I had to stop and investigate it. And sadly, I found out that it was not due to my work in that area. It was because younger people were not like signing on to the whole nude thing. And so the nudist colonies were losing membership because they were um, aging out. <laughs> Their words, not mine. And they were, you know, didn't have like, you know, new blood coming in. And so they were, they were worried. I wasn't, but I was reading the article and and it was a video embedded in the article of like this serious news reporter. And she was interviewing this elder nudist. And he had a towel placed strategically across himself. And he was giving what they were trying to project as a serious interview about this problem. So I'm like chatting with my people about it on air because behind them, there were a lot of nudist people doing nudist people things, but they all had little blocks covering up different areas and they were, they were doing various things and it was intriguing. And so I was like reading about it and the poor guy was really upset about the possibility of them having to shut down their nudist colony because they were not bringing in enough membership dues to pay for it. And, you know, though I stand against the whole nudist thing, I was feeling kind of sorry for him because he was very upset. <laughs> and, and I was about this close to a bless your heart moment because he was just so sad when the reporter, like, switched back to her. And in her very best reportery voice, she looks at the camera and she said, so this is so-and-so signing off on the issue of sagging nudist colonies around the world. <laughs> and that's where I lost it. And if y'all don't think that's funny, I'll just call you out right there because that's funny, right? Well, I don't, I have no desire to like prop up the naked news industry, but I figured out what the problem was. I don't know why they don't ask me these things, but I figured out what the problem was like instantly. As soon as I start reading it and I realized that, you know, the young people weren't signing up and they're all worried about it. Like I figured out immediately, I'm like, well, I know what the problem is here. I mean, young people ain't got no place to put their phone. Right? They got no place to put their smartphone. That's 
why they're not signing up. Like, I'm not picking them about the phone because I told y'all, I just love mine. I'm all over social media. Like, I just document everything. My family thinks I document too much, which I think they should give me more credit for being the family historian, but it's another story entirely. But I got pockets, so I got somewhere to put my phone. But young people and this whole nudist thing, they're like, mm, going to need a nap for that. I mean, they're not going to sign on. So I don't know if you find that encouraging or not that more people are keeping their clothes on, but I do. So right after that incident, I was sitting at my table um, at an event, and it was after I had spoken, and people were coming up, and they were visiting, and I was signing books, and I guess maybe one of the reasons that I have this interest in Naked News is because I'm very modest. I am like the most modest person you know. The, the girls around my, my place, they know that I had this line like about their, oh, I may just be getting in some muddy water right here. I should be really careful, but I'm probably not. Okay. So I, I tell women everywhere, y'all, that we are responsible for what we're projecting and for what men are looking at. And the feminists, they get real mad at me. And I get a lot of backlash on social media because they say, what I wear has no bearing on what he's looking at. He's responsible for his own eyes. And I disagree with that because I am supposed to be looking out for my brother. And if I'm dressing in a way that's making it hard for my brother, who Father God has made to be a visual person, ladies. Then I have some sort of responsibility here. So my girls know that I say all the time that if your pants are skin tight, your shirt needs to be butt long. <laughs> it doesn't need to outline your body because they don't need any help, okay? <laughs> I just went off in it here a minute. I wouldn't plan on going here, but here I am. So let me just tell you, they don't need any help in that area. It's why we can look at our bodies and go like, ugh, and they look at the same body and go, ooh. <laughs> it's who God made them to be. But if it is not your man looking at your body that way, then you are encouraging your brother to stumble. Let's think about that when we dress, okay? Let's think about that. A girl walked up to me somewhere where I was speaking, and she had on a shirt. I, I did not intend to go here. She had on a shirt, y'all, that left nothing to the imagination with how tight and low it was. And she was telling me about, you know, what she got from the message and that God was telling her so-and-so, and I could not even concentrate on what she was saying because I was like, did he, did he tell you to put up those? He needs to tell you to put up those. 
See, this is our problem. When we're a part of this world and we're lulled to sleep so much so that we resemble them in our dress and our speech and in what we consume on entertainment. So I was sitting there at this table, and this lady walked up to me, and she leaned down, and, and I was at, I should tell y'all, a cowboy convention is what they call it, a cowgirl convention in Texas. If you ever have the opportunity to go to one, you should go. Like, I found my tribe. It was like 3,000 boot-wearing, Jesus-loving women just kicking up some dust in that arena, and I was, I was there. I was there. You know, though, being Rome, do like the Romans, honey, I wore my cowboy hat and my boots, and I was, found my tribe. But afterwards, I'm sitting there at my table, and this lady comes up, and she leans down to me, and what I thought I heard her say was not what she said, but she leaned down to me, and she said, can I see your boots? <laughs> but that's not what I thought she said. And I said, ma'am, and she said, can I see your boots? And something about the look on my face must have clued her in that we were having a communication problem because she goes, boots, 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 boots. <laughs> okay. So I showed her my boots and no one had to get naked and it was all good. That is totally free, has nothing to do with what I am about to tell you. Zero. Blame it on Father God, he did this. Okay, can we pray? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your ways that are higher than ours, your thoughts that are higher than ours. I thank you, Lord, that you are in our midst today and that your word has already gone forth in such power. Oh, I thank you, Father. I look forward to the harvest that's going to come out of your word that has already gone forth from right here. Father God, I know what you have tasked me with this evening. And I yield every bit of this to you. And I ask that you would breathe on it. Father, my preparation means nothing if you do not breathe on it. I ask you to turn it into wine, turn it into bread, feed us, and have your way. I just yield myself to you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you have your words with you, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 3.18. I'm a student of this word. I love this word. This word has become everything to me. I wish I had time to tell y'all my life story. I know you're, you're scared that you think I'm fessing to, but I'm not because I'm going to stay with this. But I wish I could so that you could follow me through. If you're that person that says, I wish I love God's word, but I don't. I wish I could be in it. But it, it doesn't hold me there. I want you to know, sister, 
that where you are doesn't have to be where you stay. Because I used to hold this word of God and want to love it and want to read it. And I would literally drool on its pages in the early morning hours. Because I tried to get up so early to get some word in before I went somewhere else. And I was sleepy and I was tired. And my busy little American life that I'm trying to squeeze it in right here, it, it wouldn't work. It didn't sink. And, and I would be drooling on his pages, and I don't mean in a good way. I'm talking about sound asleep. Not as in, oh, this is good, drool. I'm talking about I would get up and I would walk around my living room with my word like this because surely I couldn't fall asleep if I walked. Surely. See, that's where I come from. So when I tell you that I have a passion for this word and now I cannot get out of it, what I'm saying to you, sister, is you can have a passion for this word. Because see, it's not just a, a good idea. It's my experience. It's my story. We could talk later about that journey. But you can do nothing better than asking God to circumcise your heart for this word cause you to love it. 2 Corinthians 3.18, I have been living here. As much as I love this word, I study all over it. I, I write, I study, I write, I study, I write, I study. But for three years, I've been coming back to this verse, and it has captured me. I have dissected it. Leslie, every way you can dissect it. Greek, Hebrew, if there was another language, I've done that. Anything that I could find about this verse has blessed me that way. And when Matt called and he started talking about this conference, and he said, um, I don't know how this resonates with you. I want you to speak what God is putting on your heart. But we're thinking about the theme being, we feel led that the theme's going to be believe, behold, become. That is the message of 2 Corinthians 3.18. I sat there in my living room on the phone with him, with tears rolling down my eyes of joy and excitement, and my heart beating, and I said, Matt, to let me come talk to your women about believing, beholding, becoming, for me, is like you just blew up a big old ball, big old softball, and you set it on a t-ball stand so I couldn't miss it, and gave me a big red plastic bat. That's what it feels like to me. Yes, I'm game on. Yes, I'm game on with that theme. So the delivery, I'm saying to you, could lack absolutely because I am flesh. But knowing that Father God sent me here with what I'm about to tell you, there is no doubt in my mind. May he have his way. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Oh, how beautiful that is. The idea of being transformed being changed, growing. Oh, the idea of being transformed from glory to glory. 
From one glory to another glory in Christ Jesus. Yes and amen. We look at that and we go, yeah, I like that. I'm there for that. Okay, like where do I sign up for that? How's it going to happen, sister? How's it going to happen? And then we look at that very same verse and it answers the question for us. What does that verse say? That we're going to do. There's an action word right there at the first of that verse. It says what we're going to do before we are transformed from glory to glory. Can we find it together and circle it? Beholding. Oh, if you're a right in your Bible type of person, like I would circle it and star it and underline it, highlight it. Whatever else you can do with it, creative journal it, you know, with a little drawing on the side. Whatever you want to do so that this moment right here, right now in your life never leaves you. Because that is how we're transformed from glory to glory. From beholding the glory of the Lord. From beholding the beauty of this Jesus. But beholding is such a, an ancient word, right? I mean, if I said to you, like, like I wouldn't, but it would be awkward for you if I said, behold the new boots I found. <laughs> we won't really get that. So what, what is this beholding about? Let's look at a definition of it. So that we can know, because the question we're going to be asking ourselves is, are we... Beholding. So it's, a, it's an intentional thing. Here's the definition of it. To see with attention. To observe with care. To perceive through sight or apprehension. And this is my favorite. To fix one's eyes. This is the type a focus that we're supposed to have on this sweet Jesus and his finished work. And so I ask us again, are we beholding? Oh, word of God, speak. Because this same verse will tell us if we're beholding, I call God all the time a win-win God. It's just one of my favorite expressions for him. He's just a win-win God. Like, I mean, seriously, he thinks everything. He really does. He, he like, dots every eye, crosses every T, like nothing escapes him. You can't ask a question of this word that this word won't tell you. Got to get along with it to do it. But this word will speak to you. And so we look at this word and we go, okay, so I'm going to be, be transformed by beholding. So how am I going to know if I'm beholding? And the answer is clear in this word. If I am being transformed, which is just a word for change. If I am changing, I know that I'm beholding. Do you see that? Need a bunch of heads nodding, heads nodding. Head, you know, the, yeah, like the little people used to have in the back seat of the car, you know, the, their heads, I'm too, okay. Some of y'all are too young for that, but we did. I didn't, but some people did. 
It's how we're going to know we're changing. I mean, how we're going to know we're beholding if we are changing. So I come with a list for you. I've put together a little list so that we can know if we're changing or if we're just churching. Yeah, that's what I said when Jesus told me. I was like, so you want me to go to Wichita and read that? Like, Dave, they're not going to like me a whole lot. That's kind of strong right there. But he burned it in my heart, and he burned it through my fingers, and he burned it into that keyboard. So I'm going to read to you a few ways that we can tell if we're churching or changing that can help us. It may hurt us. Just don't holler out loud because you'll give yourself away. Here we go. If our testimony is what God did in our lives and not what he's doing, we might be churching, but we aren't changing. If we can tell you what we've learned, but I never tell you what I'm learning, I'm churching. But I'm not changing. If we are content, okay, this, this may be an ouch. Preparing your head of time. If we are content with being served God's word without feeding ourselves, we can spend a lifetime churching. But we won't be changing. If you're grateful, if we are grateful for grace and God's forgiveness in our lives, but we cannot extend grace and forgiveness to those around us, we are churching, but we are not changing. A couple more. If we rely on the grace of Christ Jesus to cover our sins, but we don't rely on on God's grace to quit sinning. We're charging, but not changing. If the only time we worship is when we are gathered with other believers, I can guarantee you that we are churching. We aren't changing. And then the last one, if we're always asking for prayer, but never praying, we're churching people, but we aren't changing. I could go on and on and on, but clearly we already know because Holy Spirit has already begun to talk to us, and we already know if we're churching or if we're changing. I can stop right there and not read any more of them because we know, right? And the glorious, blessed good news is that even if we are changing, there is more. Even if we hear that and we know that we are changing, God has more. Because whatever you know of God and whatever I know of God, there is more. So none of us have to stay where we are. 
None of us. You know that saying, nothing changes unless something changes? If we breathe in and out today, we have the opportunity to learn a deeper way of beholding him. We have an opportunity to know him more tomorrow than we know him today by beholding him. You know, now before I even came here, before I even started this message, because you're, you're in a wonderful fellowship here, and I know the word has gone forth, so I can say with a surety that we all know that we're supposed to be beholding Christ Jesus that way, right? So really, the best use of our time in the next few minutes is why aren't we? If we know we're supposed to be beholding Jesus with our eyes fixed on him, feeding on him, looking for him, pursuing him, keeping him uppermost in our minds. If we know this, then why aren't we doing it? And the word of God is going to speak to us there as well. Because the truth of the matter is that we all have to begin at the same place, at conversion. Now hear me, let me say the whole thing out before you agree or disagree, but becoming a child of God and being converted is not a guarantee that we will become fixated on this Jesus to the place where we're being transformed by his life in us. Conversion alone does not fill these cavernous hearts of ours. Or do y'all not have any people in Kansas who know Jesus and have professed Christ but are still filling themselves up on the world. I don't have any of those people in Kansas that are believers, but basically look and act like unbelievers because of what they feed on and what they behold. Y'all remember Mercy, right, from last night? The little puppy? Yeah. The stray who wanted my refuge in his way, that's us a lot of times with Christ Jesus. We try and fix ourselves, feed ourselves, entertain ourselves, rest ourselves. And that story is ancient. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Open your Bibles to Genesis 3.8. While you're turning there, we're going to establish a clear warning. I remember the first time the Holy Spirit of God said this to me. I remember the impact that it had on me that day. And it has every time I've said it since. 
It's the story of Eve. You know that probably before you turn. And I just told you 3-8. And that's why I was looking up because I think it's 2-8. Hold on. Just rest a minute. Ah, it's 3-6. That's where we're going to be going. Okay, so, but the story of Eve that you know very well, who does not know the story of Eve partaking of the fruit that she knew she shouldn't partake of, right? Okay, so here's the warning. Have you ever stopped to realize that this woman who was susceptible to what the enemy was telling her was a woman who walked with God? That's me. I look at that and I take that as a warning. That's me. That's you, woman of God. She walked with God and she was acceptable. So with that warning in mind, let's jump into the middle of the story. The devil has came to Eve and he has told her not to eat. That means it suggested that she should eat of the apple. Like, she said no the first time. Remember that? The first time she said no, God said that we shouldn't eat of the apple. I mean, we can eat of every tree in the garden, but, but not this one. But she didn't turn from that voice. She kept entertaining that voice. And he kept pointing to that fruit on that tree until in verse 6, we're going to look at what she concluded about the tree. Genesis 3, 6 says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband, and he did eat. So let's rehearse that. What did she conclude? When she looked at that tree, what did she conclude about that fruit? That it was good for food. That's what she said. She said, it's a delight to my eyes, and it's desirable to make me wise. So she ate it. And I am here today to tell you, women of God, is that not what we do? Do we not walk through this world going, oh, that looks like that would be good. Oh, that's pretty. That, that would be good for me to have. Oh, now that would make me wise. And we try to meet our needs through what we have concluded is available around us. You know what I have thoroughly enjoyed telling sweet Jesus? Since the day he opened this passage up to me, I tell him all the time, Jesus, you are good for food. John 6.35 says, I am the bread of life. Jesus, you are good for food. I tell him, Jesus, you are a delight to my eyes. Psalms 27.4, one thing I have desired 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and behold the beauty of his temple. So I tell him, you are a delight to my eyes. And then I say, Jesus, you are desirable to make me wise. It's you, your wisdom. You are wisdom. Colossians 2, 3 reads that they may be encouraged in heart, knit together in love, and filled with the full riches of complete understanding so they may know the mystery of God. Here it is, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So I love to confess to him all the time, Jesus, you are good for food. You are delight. For me to look at, you are desirable to make me wise. And I like to think that with every choice I make to feast my soul on this sweet Jesus, it's just a step back from that curse that Eve handed down. Because this is where it gets serious. In Louisiana, we say where the rubber hits the road. This is where it does. What did Eve do after she made those three faulty conclusions? And then she ate the apple. What is the next thing she did? Y'all just tell me out loud. What did she do after she ate the apple? She gave to her husband. And he did eat. Whatever it is that you are feeding on, this is our privilege as women of God. And this is our weighty responsibility as women of God set in our families and in our communities. Whatever we are feeding on, it may not be today and it may not be tomorrow, but the people behind you and around you will feed on what you're feeding on. You will give it to them. You may not even mean to. You may fill your soul up with what you don't need and what you know you shouldn't have. One day you're going you're gonna to feed it to the next person. You just are. Whatever it is that you eat, you are going to turn around and you're going to give to your man. He's going to eat. You're going to give to your kids and they're going to eat. That's our blessed choice, is to feed on the bread of life. To feed ourselves on the bread of life that when we turn and we give someone something to eat, we're giving them eternal life. That's what we get to do. To behold Jesus and feed them the bread of life is our high calling And he is worthy of every effort and every pursuit. This Jesus is more precious than we have preached. He is sweeter than we have sung. He is more worthy than we have written. He is more comfort than we have counseled. And he is a greater treasure than we have told. And a lost world needs to see us transformed. 
by feeding on him, by being in his presence, until his presence transforms us. See, they need to see this because we have a world that is full, nausea full of religion. It will not attract a single person in your family and mine that we're praying for. They are full of religion, but they are starved for Christ Jesus. Starving for Jesus. Let's feed ourselves so that we can be transformed before them and feed the world. Amen. Amen. I told you that what I was coming to say in this first session was brief and I believe full of meat. And that's what I have to say. That's it. We're going to have, I do not know, maybe possibly some breakout sessions. I didn't get back in touch with the leadership to find out about that. And then we're going to pick up right there. We're going to have a time of ministry after this second session that's going to wrap it up. But we're going to pick up right there. And we're going to soon that we have taken that and we have made that commitment that we are going to behold this Jesus the way we never have. We're going to fix our eyes on him the way our eyes have not been fixed on him. And that every time our eyes look for something else to rest us, feed us, comfort us, inspire us, we're going to come back to Jesus. We're going to agree that that's where we're going to begin and then we're going to look at the blessed fruit of becoming like him in the next session.